Good day, beautiful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing fantastic, and I am sending you all of my love, well wishes, and good vibes to you through the airwaves. We've got an amazing episode for the, of the show for you today. We have artist Justin Bua on, and we are talking about the power of art for mastery, healing, and fundamental human expression. Justin is an absolutely phenomenal artist. He has one of the most popular prints of all time, selling 13 million worldwide and this is a tremendous episode we cover a lot of topics in this we talk about the work of van gogh how uh, hip-hop influenced his art um you know the five elements of hip-hop which i didn't know art as the ultimate expression the caveman paintings history of art michelangelo art therapy um dance therapy drawing in all the ways that you can use art to expand your mind to expand your consciousness as a tool for self-mastery we talk about um exercises to get out of the mind so so out of the brain so so many people want to relax and kind of like let their subconscious take over or be in the present moment and uh, let go of the inner critic and um, Justin gives some amazing insights on how we can do that very easily through art so this is a fantastic episode I know you're going to enjoy it if you like it let Justin Justin and I know check him out on Instagram Justin Bua I think is his handle if not you'll you'll find him find him for sure but tag him and uh, tag myself let us know what you like what you um, you know where you're listening from we love to hear from you if you want to support the show please share it leave a review in itunes um, consider becoming a patron uh, thank you so much to all my patrons and jacqueline clark who became a patron and also welcome to the academy michael brown um, for those of you guys who want to get some exclusive content and you also want to learn a step-by-step master system for overcoming self-sabotage strengthening your connection with spirit and designing and living the life of your dreams check out the absolutely phenomenal soul compass course that is absolutely free when within the academy and there's also meditations exclusive content from guests and lots of amazing content in there so would love to have you as an academy member just go to mattbelair.com you're going to find all the links over there that you need Um, the best way that you can support the show though is to do one kind act in the world wherever you are hold the door open say a kind word write a friend you haven't talked to in a while uh, give somebody a word of encouragement just do any kind act it's the best thing that you can do um also, sign up for the email list because censorship is the real deal. So go to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list. And if you want a free lucid dreaming uh, audio and track, just go to mattbelair.com forward slash lucid dreaming. Um, and for those of you guys who are really interested in, in leveling up, like you are committed to going to the next level in your life, you want to get crystal clear on your life path, your life purpose, you want to expand mentally, emotionally, uh, financially, spiritually, in all those ways, and you want to work one-on-one with me, I am taking new clients. Go to mattbelliercom forward slash coaching and would love to work with you or your organization on anything from spirituality to peak performance, mindset, and mental health. Would love to work with you. So just hit me up and let me know. So that's it. Let's get into uh, today's episode. So let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, fiber, atom of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, inspiration, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Justin Bua. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. 
Today's guest is an award-winning artist, author, speaker, and entrepreneur. He is internationally known for his best-selling collection of fine art posters, the DJ being one of the most popular prints of all time, to date selling 13 million worldwide. He has designed and illustrated myriad projects from skateboards and CD covers to advertising campaigns. In 2012, he accepted an NAACP Image Award and Atelier Award for his art direction in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's documentary film On the Shoulders of Giants. As a longtime vegetarian and health advocate, he created the Bua Bar, a raw organic chocolate bar, as well as his chocolate drink, Mix the Immortal Machine. He exhibits through the U.S. and internationally. He has taught figure, figure drawing at the University of Southern California for 10 years, was the host and executive producer of the first ever TV show about street art. He was a member of the U.S. Stamp Committee, where he was part of bringing the world's first ever hip-hop and Bruce Lee stamp, among many others, to the world. Welcome to the show, Justin Bua. Thank you, my brother. Thank What's you. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good, man. That, that's a lot, huh? That's a, that's, that's a concise version, man. It was, it's, it's amazing to meet you. We uh, connected on Instagram and, and I was like, hey, and you're like, I've been listening to the show and I checked out your incredible art. And I said, well, just tell me about yourself. And I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, yes, definitely come on the show. Um, it's a pleasure to connect. And, and that was just a brief bio, man. You've been in the game you've, a long time. You've been doing interesting things for a long time. So why don't you just... Uh, you know, tell us in your own words, like how you got to where you are today and, and doing the amazing art and all the other things that you're up to. Well, I got to shout out my wife for uh, sequestering me for all those car rides and listening <laughs> to your show. And that's how, <laughs> that's how I was uh, uh, introduced to your world. So you've opened me up to a lot of possibilities through her in the vehicle as the vehicle to a new world. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I've been, I've been painting since, since I was a kid. My mom was a painter. My, graf my, my grandfather was a graphic designer. He used to be an artist. Uh, he did all the letters for Felix the Cat and Prince Valiant. So he's like, oh, oh right letterer before graffiti writers, there was my grandfather. He was doing burners everywhere. But when I saw the, the world of New York City that I was born into, it was like a, a duality of the street art that was all around me and the classical art that my mom and grandfather had exposed me to. So it was the two worlds that I've seemed to be in between ever since I was a little kid. So, I mean, that, that was really the beginning of my, the, the efflorescence of my style. It was a, you know, how can I take this classical dimension that exists in my reality and show the street kind of world in in my work and that's why i got into graffiti writing as a kid and as i told you i was a professional b-boy for many years i was break dancing around the world and so taking those rhythms i was really like how do i take those rhythms and translate it into art because art is movement art is gesture art is the action of the pose how do i take all of that and put it all together into one painting. And that's been really my, my journey ever since. 
There's been a billion stories on the way, a billion things that I've done, but it's really been taking the positive aspects of, of culture and being able to put it on canvas in a three-dimensional way. Wow. That's amazing, man. Well, what it makes me think of is the time that uh, I may have eaten a, eaten a little bit of mushrooms and went to the Van Gogh Museum. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting the level of respect you have when you understand what someone goes through to master a craft. You know, I was one of those ignorant dummies that was like, oh, I could paint this, you know, thing. Not, not his work, but sometimes you think you can do it. You can't do it. And especially when you see how incredible it is in person, it's a whole nother ball game of, of what is available. And we were speaking a little bit about mastery. And um, also, I definitely want you to talk, touch a little bit on the culture of New York and some of the things you've been to, you know, influence the art. And so I'll just kind of leave it with that. Like what, what um, you know, how did New York play a role in, in your work and how you decided to bring it out to the world? Because I imagine you have story after story after story that, uh, you know, is interesting and mind blowing and, and everything in between. Well, first of all, let's touch on Van Gogh because you're like, first of all, being on mushrooms, looking at Van Gogh, you must have been, I mean, that Van Gogh is like mushrooms, right? I mean, his oil is so impasto, so thick then everything is, is moving. And I think that that's a good, you know, that's a good way to get into how my mind works when I see the world of dance. Because Van Gogh, Van Gogh was a fascinating human being because he was obsessed with getting better. We talk about mastery. Van Gogh, if you look at his early work, his potato eaters, you know, some of, some of his work that he's, he's, he's dealing with, this palette is very, it's not naive, but he's trying, he's a student, but he's working hard and he's obsessed with getting better. He's obsessed with it. And we don't see until later his, more of a mastery of his draftsmanship, more of a mastery of color, but his intensity to work hard was what made him so powerful. Everybody relates to Rango's work. It's a really weird thing. He's like almost everybody's favorite artist because he struck a universal chord in all of us. We look at Van Gogh, we're like, go, dude, I'm on this roller coaster ride. I'm in Starry Night with the undulating, explosive fireworks of the sky and the moving cypress trees, right? So I think when you use him as a reference of mastery, he's a really good example because he did die very young, but he mastered an emotional spirit in painting. And he did that through just an incredible obsession and sacrifice of his own, just his own life ultimately, right? And his lack of relationships with only, Te with only Teo. But, um, but with me, you know, I was on a path of, just living in the, in the city. I was, I was a latchkey kid growing up on the Upper West Side, what we like to call the Upper Best Side of New York City. It was, uh, it was a rough, crazy time where I had two SROs in my block, which are single room occupancies. I had 200 in my neighborhood. Reaganomics was dropping. The trickle down theory never trickled down. The, the poor only got poor. There was homelessness, destitution, uh, just, uh, just absolute abject poverty. And I was living in a world where it felt like there was a hopelessness. It felt dangerous. It felt like a concrete jungle. You know, when Melly Mel says it's like a jungle sometimes, it makes you wonder how I keep from going under. You felt that. 
You felt like you were drowning in the concrete. There was only a sluice of sky that offered any kind of hope whatsoever. And at the same time, we were kids. So we didn't know any better. New York City was our playground. There was murders, there was crime. I mean, you know, you see stories now on HBO, movies, TV shows about the time that I lived in. The beginning, you know, those nascent moments of hip hop culture or the early corruptness of, of the police or just New York City in general. It was, it was the wild, wild west, but it was, the, it was the wild, crazy east, you know what I mean? And every day was, was just absolute uh, chaos. So I had two SROs on my block, 200 in my neighborhood. And there was one thing that was full of light and that was hip hop. Hip hop was an energetic movement of positivity that the kids, now check this out, Matt, this is the craziest thing ever. Hip hop was started by children. This is a trillion dollar industry right now. This was a culture that was only kids. Graffiti writers, there's five elements of hip hop. DJing, MCing, b-boying, graph writing, and uh, what did I say? DJing, MCing, b-boying, graph writing. Four elements of hip hop, the four pillars of hip hop. A lot of people consider beatboxing the fifth, but let's just say four elements of hip hop. All of them were children. They were kids. And they started this magnificent culture because they wanted to plug and channel into something that was really positive, something creative. And it was something that just happened organically. There were so many gangs. It was rife with just violence and crime. And eventually the kids just said, hey, we're not gonna take this anymore, man. We're gonna do something positive. So we started, instead of fighting, we started to battle, you know? And, and instead of just marking territories, and if you, if you marked over someone you got killed, you started, they started painting. They started what, what they call doing burners on the wall, doing throw-ups. Uh, you know, they started making music. They started singing and celebrating. It was a celebratory culture because we were coming out of such darkness. So I grew up during, in a lot of ways, a renaissance, which is a rene, a rebirth of culture, much like the high renaissance of, of Italy that Michelangelo and Leonardo and Raphael and Titian and the Medici family was reigning over and Pope Julius uh, II. That was a renaissance too, but we had our own street renaissance. And that was, that was kind of, that was this whole world around me. Man, that, I can't even imagine those times, especially in the world we live in. It's pretty soft. And like where I grew up in Canada is pretty soft. Like I might get a, you know, there is some hockey competition, but, but nothing like, you know, you're fighting on the ice, but nothing like that. And what I like about what you're sharing is finding the opportunity, like the culture in itself created a peaceful way. And obviously not everybody, but there was an opportunity for an interesting expression in what must've been something so dark and I wish I could have two of my buddies come on to talk about hip hop culture because these guys just know so much. And when I, when I see, when I listen to old school hip hop, you know, my friends, they know some, they just play me amazing music all the time. I don't really know crap about it. Um, but I, I know that the old school hip hop had a message and I'll listen to it. And now it seemed to be taken over and they've lost the message. They've lost the soul. Like a lot of kids, if they listen to hip hop now or a parent, they're, they're going to say, this isn't a positive music. 
but back then it was, it was an expression. And so from your perspective, um, how did hip hop influence you and, and how can we get to the point where music and art can hip, uh, can influence in a positive way and, and kind of rise to the top? You know how if you sign a contract and then they, they really push and promote something that might not have a, a great message? How do we help those who are coming up with a positive message, um, you know, get it out there? Does that make sense? My phrase, you know yeah, what I'm getting at? I, I know it's kind of general. No, no, no. I, I know what you're saying. I think that it, it's, it's a different world because those were the days before there was a, you know, the goal wasn't to make millions of dollars. The goal was to kind of speak from the heart, to get it out. So, you know, when, when, when uh, Melly Mel or, or Kaz or Cool Herc was spinning, you, you, you had messages of positivity or transformation or a lot about the social injustices of what was going on. First, it was really like the New York City old school rap was really about the social inequalities and how bad it was. Broken glass everywhere. You know, people run the street, people just don't care. Like that, you know, you just, you could get an image of what it was like just from one line. Uh, now music is just more, how can we make some X amount of money from this record? You know what I mean? How can we get it in, into all the different channels and, and get all this different revenue? So it's a little bit different, but I think there's a lot of positive uh, rappers today, J. Cole, um, uh, just a, a lot of people who are really Kendrick Lamar putting it down to positive effect. I think it's become very much like, it, in a lot of ways, shallow. I mean, you could see it. The rise of a, a long-standing culture is what 250 years. That is usually an empire, mm -hmm. and at the end of the empire, we get into an incredible. Usually, historically. Uh, there's decadence by the end of the empire. And so we're seeing that kind of right now, right? <laughs> we're seeing that the rap music is reflecting the times, unfortunately, in a lot of ways. There's mm -hmm. some really good music still, like I said, Kendrick and J. Cole, you know, and some entertaining people like Pop Smoke. But I would say the messaging is not like, you know, Run DMC or, or Flash or Fearless Four or a lot of the guys that I grew up on, you know, taking it way back to dinosaur school. Hmm. Well, I think you touched on it right away when you said they, they weren't doing it for the money, they were doing it for the expression. And I feel like when you have nothing, you know, or, or you're really pressed down, you need some way to express, you need some way to um, exist in the world. And actually you did the Bruce Lee stamp and you're telling me about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I was like, oh yeah, anybody who, you know, gets a Bruce Lee stamp out there is cool with me. And one of the lessons he taught was just uh, martial arts was about expressing. It's one form and art can be an avenue and a form for mastery. And that's what I try to talk about in Zen Athlete for sports. That's one avenue, but you can do it through art, you know? And when you're talking about your work and we're talking, how do you pronounce Van Gogh? Is it Van Gogh? Is that proper? Uh, I mean, it's, people say Van Gogh, but a lot of people also say Van Gogh. But no, that's Van like, Gogh. you know, do you say Renoir or do you say Renoir? Is it Monet or Monet? Well, I'm not, I'm not fancy enough, but I'll, ta I'll take the proper pronunciation anyway. Well, one of the interesting ones is going to Egypt, and you know the Egyptian god Thoth? Some people mm -hmm. say Thoth, but apparently the Egyptians tell me it's Tahat. And so I never oh. really hear that. So it's just, it's good to know. Um, but when you're talking about like the essence of the art, when I was listening to his life, he liked to paint the farmers because he was trying to bring the soul into art. 
right? Mm -hmm. Bring the life force, the essence of life into a painting, which mm -hmm. is a really admirable uh, goal. And he did an incredible job if you see his work in person. And so I think that when we go through challenging times, we need an expression. And I don't see a lot of positive outlets out there. Like for sport, I don't see a lot of athletes saying, you know, um, as good role models, really good people that with a ton of influence being an excellent role model, you know, helping kids and the same can go for art and go for music and all these other avenues. So can you talk about a little bit of the role of just expressing through art and what it can give a person? You know, I think that art is the, I always say that art is the ultimate expression because it's the first way we communicate with the universe. Like when we're, think about it. I mean, think about the cave paintings, uh, the cave paintings in Lascaux, France. We were, we were using it to communicate with mother nature to bring us abundance, right? We were using it to leave messages, to leave notes to the future generations. We were using it to communicate to the gods, to the heavens, to the universe. It was a spiritual communication. And the artist was always considered a person, you know, much like the, the, the shaman of the group, much like the leader of the group, the spiritual leader. So we've lost our way in a lot of ways, but I think that be, we've lost our ways because art has been sublimated by you know, uh, shallow materialistic endeavors, you know, there's much more of an importance placed upon uh, Kim Kardashian these days than Michelangelo, unfortunately, you see what I'm saying? And so Michelangelo was the hand of God, you know, you, you could say whatever you want, but this was a man who was 81 years old saying, I'm just beginning to learn how to draw. I mean, that's just, mind-boggling so i think artists are able to uh you know when you're when you're a little kid too there's a purity of the language right before kids are talking they're communicating with marks they're communicating with messaging and a lot of uh therapists are who are art therapists work with kids who have trauma who can't speak who are not able to be articulate and brain out very elaborate traumatic events, but they're able to draw it out with ease. So I think that drawing is an amazing way of communicating to positive effect and communicating truth. I think that's the thing that we see most in art. You're, I always say that my art is more me than I am myself. So like, we always put on a false face or we put on a show or you put on a, I'm gonna be this way with this person. I'm gonna act this way with that person over there. Oh, but with those dudes, I'm gonna have to act like, what's up, bro? How you doing, man? You know what I mean? We all, we do it. And then when my homeboys, I'm like, yo, what's up, B? How you doing, son? You know, when my kid, I'm like, hi, how are you? We have these different faces that we wear, but we don't necessarily, I don't have it when I'm drawing because I feel like my drawing is the freaking truth. That's the realness. That's the rawness. And that's why I think, Drawing is super important because everybody can do it, even though everybody thinks they can't. They always say, oh, I can't even draw a stick figure. That's not true. Everybody could draw. Everybody should draw because art is a very healthy, incredible way to just get things out. People talk about, oh, let's work out. You know, let's eat better. Let's exercise. Let's meditate. Let's do yoga. 
but no one's saying let's draw, let's paint, because that is the, that is a healing modality unto itself, and it's a very overlooked one, because like I said, it goes back to popularity. Back in the days when Peter Paul Rubens unveiled a painting, he was like boom, and everyone was like oh oh my god. Oh my God, it was like breathtaking, mind-boggling, it was a movie. But now you watch a movie, you know what I mean? It's different. You go see a show, or you know, you used to watch a movie, you used to see a show, now you see it in your home theater, you know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but it's a different experience. We need like instantaneous, and, if, and we need instantaneous interaction and too, too much stimulation. And if you could just dial it back and look at a painting, you can have that times a million because it's a much more deeper, profound experience just to sit in front of one painting and let it become, you know, let you become it or you just kind of go on its journey. That's amazing, man. I, I have so many things I want to kind of comment on. I think the the first thing is the idea of wearing a mask, you know, and uh, how we change our personality, how we're not our authentic selves. And through your art, you can be really raw and authentic. And many people don't have that. And I feel like the more dangerous the environment, the more that mask is important. But I think that at the end of the day, if we can learn to be authentic, it's going to be a much better human experience. Um, and you're going to draw the people that you need to draw in and you're going to expel the people you need to expel, but it's very challenging. And I just think about like the environment you grew up in or LA, you know, the heart of LA versus, um, you know, where I am in Canada or different parts of the world where it might not be as safe. And I was recently interviewed on the tinfoil hat co uh, podcast uh, with Sam Tripoli and I had a good time. And I was just talking about, if we can get to the idea of a vocation, what would you do if money didn't matter just to express? And if you can get to that passion, that thing that you want to express into the world and your version being art, right? Now you got all these people wanting to be DJs and musicians and all this, and they want the business side. Yes, there is a business side and it is possible, but it's when I, it's exactly the same when I was teaching snowboarding to really great snowboarders. I was saying, what do you actually want to do? If you want to snowboard all day, every day, um, you might get good enough to be a pro, but you got to do it for the love of it. You becoming a pro snowboarder, you becoming a pro athlete will be a byproduct of your work ethic and process and love for it, right? And if you truly love it, there will be other avenues for you to express and make an income and support yourself and continue to grow. But you actually have to be authentic, like, you know, back in the day with the hip hop and the music and things like that. There's such a level of authenticity there. And so, um, I'm reminded of my friend Robert Grant, who's a mathematician. He also does a lot of sacred geometry and he made all these mathematical discoveries. I met him in Egypt and he's a really brilliant mind and he's a musician and he's also an artist. And I told him, how do I, make, how do I become a better athlete? And he goes, well, do my math course because you want to merge the two hemispheres. And I feel like the honest expression is something that's kind of not safe in our world. Like so many people that want to do art, it might be perceived for a male, like a not masculine or your art sucks, right? You, you make a piece of art, one of your buddies sees it and then just shoots you down. We kind of have that culture going on. I'm just wondering if you can speak to that idea a little bit and just expressing yourself authentically through some form. Matt, first of all, I want to comment on the fact that you might have some of the best teeth I've ever seen 
Uh, I'm an artist. So see that? Right there. Did you have braces or you just have really incredible teeth? I, I was mean, so lucky with my teeth, man. They, they just, this is a teeth, nothing, you know, just, but I did chip a tooth in Whistler snowboard and doing a backflip once. And uh, I didn't fix it for like eight months or something. I couldn't afford it. And I just had this thing in there. So, uh, but I eventually got it fixed. So they're good now. I appreciate it. <laughs> you, got, you got good teeth. And, I, and I'm saying that as an artist. Okay. So that's even, even more of a compliment. Uh, okay. So you've, you've touched on, you touched on a million things. Um, you know, going back to the mass thing, I, I agree with you. And it's interesting too, from an, I'm trying to get to a couple of points here, but the mass thing is really interesting because as an artist, expression is everything, right? When I'm doing a portrait, it's all about the mouth has such an amazing character. And when people wear masks, it's bizarre. But I noticed the other day when I was shopping at Trader Joe's, two people recognized me and I recognized them with the mask on, which is crazy because it shows you how powerful connection is through just the eyes. I was like, dude, you know, Greg, what's going on? And he had a mask and I had a mask. And it was really weird. So I thought that was just bizarre. But, you know, Shakespeare said, false face doth hide with a false heart doth know. I really... Um, try to get as much sunshine and no mask situation. And as you know, I'm in a different situation than you because we're in LA. So it's a lot more masky, you know, and a lot. Well, and I also, that's relevant. And I'm glad you perceived it that way because that's an interesting take. But I also mean like the masks that we wear when we go into situations oh. like the, like the ego mask, but that's also relevant though, because um, I didn't, I didn't think about it, but I've, I, I'm noticing people look down a lot more. Like it's like they're almost guilted. It's like shamed. Um, I chose and I choose most of the time not to wear a mask and people get upset at that. Um, but you know, in the States you would get like stoned, right? And and you would get it's it's more intense. Um, it, but again, if someone's near great. me, I'll respect their space and you know, I'll wear a mask and but sometimes I won't because you know, I believe in terrain theory and I believe in other different things and do a lot of research for a living, but um that that's a whole other thing but i mean like culturally how do we get to the expression of just being our authentic selves like in every form like also the art but in our daily lives because it it's like you have to remove a shield right it's like you have to be authentic like if you if you're a person who wants to do your first piece of art so many people that i coach and speak to they're so afraid of not being good at it they're so afraid of failing the first time. They're so afraid of what other people see. And same with music, same with authentic music, poetry, writing, any kind of art form. So, so many people are so resistant because of what other people um, might receive. And so maybe you can just speak a little bit on, on that, on like the idea of people just heckling your work and sucking at it and, and taking the crap from other people because it, it's hard, especially if you've, if you've done it authentically and you made a piece that that is an honest expression and someone craps all over it that's a that's a hard thing to take and you know i think you growing up in new york have a tougher skin and and a lot of people don't so i don't know it might be true it might not be <laughs> I, I don't know i mean I, I think i'm i have a tougher skin but i could be sensitive too and you know i grew up with my mom and my mom was very encouraging you know i'll tell you i had a i had i went to i barely got into an art high school you know the movie fame I got into the movie Fame in New York City, uh, and, into the school Fame that was portrayed on the TV in the movies. And I had always tried to get uh, a scholarship, 
even though I was going to a public school and it was a scholarship school, I was trying to get all these scholarships and the chairman never let me. Um, and I kept trying and trying and every year I came back and I was like, look at my portfolio. I'm not going to mention her name, uh, Miss Denver. And then she, um, eventually I said, look, you know, you're, you're, you're allowing all these kids, Matthew and Magdalene and Tristan, all these people to enter these scholarships and you won't allow me to enter one of them. She said, well, your, your work is too street and it's too irreverent. I was like, okay, well, kept coming back. And so finally I entered the Mark Rothko scholarship for the most outstanding artist in the five boroughs in New York. And I won. And of course she was cheesing it up with me at the award ceremony and like just pretending. So there was barely any teachers who thought I was good. Anybody, because what I was doing was so different. It was so out of the box, but my mother was a constant cheerleader of my work. Everything I did, she thought was great. And then later on, as I became a real artist, everything I did, my mom hated. It was like, I'm, I'm was like, completely like, oh, that's terrible. What are you kidding? You know, that's ridiculous. I'm a Puerto Rican Italian Jew and my mom's Jewish. And so she was like, this is terrible. This is, I don't even like it. I'd be like, what do you mean you don't like it? It's just, I don't know, something about it I don't like. So you, I'm used to criticism. Uh, graffiti, street art is, we talked about this at the beginning before we got on the air. It's a battleground. You know, you're supposed to support each other with art, but when you're kids, you're vicious. And we were vicious. And so there was a lot of criticism all the time. And it was competitive. And then when I went to college at Art Center College Design in Pasadena, it was highly competitive and it was brutal. And I was not nice and I was, I was not humbled at all. And I call it FU energy. And that's what fueled me because I was angry. I was a New York City angry kid who had a rough life and I was broken. And so I didn't care about stepping on somebody if I was going to be able to beat them. And that was my whole energy for a long time before I realized there's no such thing as you're good, I'm good, they're better, you're worse. It's all subjective. But when I was going down the path of learning thousands and thousands and thousands of hours drawing the figure, painting from life, drawing from life, doing my own stuff, I was brutal. And I was just completely a savage. I was a savage, you know? And I understood the savagery because as a break dancer, you're trying to completely take somebody apart and destroy them with dance you know i mean you're, you're dancing it's not a fighting thing but it's still you're trying to do everything you can to better your you know to say that i'm just so much better than you and it's weird how much better i am than you and everything <laughs> you do is derivative of me and you're just you're, you're actually corny and you're ugly and you're soft and you're just, oh my god like you know when you're battling you're just even when the other guy's going you're going you know, you're waving your hands, you're saying biter. I understand it so much more now. I never, you know, they're waving their hands like, oh my God, you're so terrible, bro. You know, but meanwhile, you're looking at them going, damn, I hope I, I hope I perform on my next round because they're doing great. In your mind, the truth is hidden 
from the fear or that mask again, going back to the mask, because you're wearing the mask of battle. This is your war right now. And I always took that energy, that New York City war mentality mm. into my painting. It's such a weird thing, right? Because it's this individual sport, essentially. I'm just doing my own thing. But I'm looking at someone going, you know, and they would be looking at me going, Mm-mm. like I wasn't good. And as I got older, I went to this figure drawing class at this famous artist figure drawing class, uh, Glenn Vilpu. And there was these young kids there and they were young, you know, there's young kids from Korea and these kids are good, dude. Like they're amazing. Their draftsmanship was a level. And I could just see the kid looked over to me and he just kind of shook his head like, uh, uh-uh. uh. And I was like, Oh yeah, I already know what that's about. <laughs> you know, I, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to psych me out to make me sweat, to feel uncomfortable, to draw in front of you. But I actually know that I'm better than you. It's and a I'm a 10 year old Korean that. kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I looked at him and I went, man, that's really good. And he was like, oh yeah? And I go, yeah, man, you're good. You know, where do you go? He goes, oh, I go to art center. I was like, oh, I graduated from there. He's like, oh, cool, man. Yeah, you're pretty good too. You know what I mean? It was like, when you, when you just cut out the BS, you just cut out all the bull because you know he's just trying to play me and it's a, it's a game of psychology. So as you get older, you don't care. And that to me is the difference between an abundant mindset, trying to help everybody, encourage everybody, make sure everybody grows and flourishes, give everybody opportunities, as opposed to a scarcity mindset, which is what I always had in New York City because it was like, there's only so much food to eat, you know? So that food's gonna be mine. You know, it's, it's, it's a dog eat dog world in New York City. And I took that, that messed up mind, you know, space into, into my reality. Cause that's how all my friends were, man. All my friends were, were like that. They were always hustling you. You know, I used to have a friend, Carlos, who used to have a quarter, <laughs> you know, in his right ear, He'd be like, yo, yo, Jay, yo, you got a QB? I was like, oh, you need a quarter? I give him a quarter, he put it in his left ear. I was like, yo, you already got a quarter in your right ear. He's like, oh, that's crazy. Yo, yo, Kev, you got a cue? You know, and then he's just like, he's hustling everybody on the smallest level. There's all kinds of hustling. But like, you know what I mean? Like this dude would just collect quarters in his ears and then his pockets and then his hands. And then by the end of the day, you know, he had all kinds of money just by borrowing money. But the hustle was so strong in my neighborhood that it was constant. Everybody got a hustle for everything. You know, whether it's three card money, you know, card money or whatever, there everybody was hustling because we had a survivor's mentality. You know, it's like it's like survive. This is kind of a reptilian mindset, right? Mm-hmm. It's fight or flight. I gotta get mine or else. You know, I got I got I got I, I, I need it all or else. And that is a, that is a sick, that is a sick way to be. You know, that mm. that's not healthy. And that's how I grew up. I grew up very sick in a lot of ways. I was, I was broken. I was sick. I was scarce. Uh, even though there was a burning love and passion and, you know, hope and joy inside of me and funniness, there was also all that other dark stuff that wasn't allowing me to, to get to the level that I really needed to get to. Wow. Well, you know, the first thing I think about is just um, like skateboarding, for example, and you think about things culturally, skateboarding seems to be one of those things that it's not competitive. It might be different now for the kids because there's street league and all this kind of stuff. But culturally, everybody seemed very supportive of each other. You'd see the best guy there, you know, be so supportive of the 
guy trying to land his first Ollie. Like that culture for me has been one of the most supportive cultures. And I think about you describing yours and that guy hustled a quarter is so brilliant. Um, but it also comes from like an environment that you're in where you are literally, like you said, scarce, scarcity, trying to survive. It's a whole different thing. How do you think we could create, do you think it's possible that culturally in these spaces and, and you know, you can think about just places that are having a more rough time for opportunity, which are a lot in the States. There are many, and there are a lot of systems in place that make it challenging for people to um, grow. But I think the first and most important thing is the mindset of that individual to be able to break out. So if you were to go back in time in one of those spaces, do you think that it would be possible or how would it transform if they had an abundance mindset or a cooperative mindset or some of the things you've learned along the way do you think that those kids would have taken that and run with it and changed the culture and been able to do it in those intense environments or not absolutely because you know i tell i tell everybody this all the time matt half of my friends are dead and the other half of my friends are incredibly successful hmm. so everybody in my neighborhood from new york city is either dead or beyond successful. And I attribute that to how much we had to survive in order to thrive. You know what I mean? It was survival, survival, survival. And eventually those friends of mine took the survival stuff and the hustle of it and thrived. But I do believe that if we were there, yeah, and there wasn't a McDonald's and a Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, and a, and a, a Chinese, shop with bulletproof glass that served only you know wonton soup and chicken wings you know i think that if we had fruit and vegetables and clean water and positive things to to plug ourselves into which we did with hip-hop you know people kids still did that but i think if if you change the system the system of course people will come out they won't have to you won't have carlos going yo you got a cue you know because he's going to He's getting a bunch of cues together to go to Mickey D's to get his burger, fries, and his vanilla shake. You know, but if you had a farmer's market, <laughs> he, you know, it's, it's, su it's such a part, like the, the systemic, uh, the system that these, these kids lived in, in the concrete, was just a different world. And I think that the reason that half of my friends are so successful is because, you know, they were able to find peace and have cultural identity with the positive flowering culture of hip hop. I think hip hop saved half of those people's lives. I really believe it. The music saved them, the dance saved them, the art saved them in my case. Um, and I think we were able to, to see so much positivity in the end because we, and we wouldn't be who we were without it, but I think a lot of people could have been saved had there been more things in place, you know, more people in place, more better role models. I mean, look at myself, like I'm like all my friends. I never had a dad. My dad left, you know, when I was two weeks old to get milk and he never came back. He just, it was like, that was it, game over, no dad. I'm raised by a single mom. My mom's gotta work, so I'm a latchkey kid, right? And I'm sitting at home drawing all the time, getting in trouble on the street, but drawing a lot of, a lot of the time because I'm, I'm plugging myself into something that is healing me. 
because I'm lonely and I'm, I feel, you know, like betrayed and, and left and, and I, I feel abandoned, you know? And so I'm plugging myself into stuff and my mom gets home at eight o'clock every night. So I spent a lot of time alone in the city and a lot of time hanging out on the streets with people who were drug dealers and, and criminals and, and, and funny people and all kinds of people, prostitutes. I mean, my neighbors were like transvestites and prostitutes and drug dealers. It was a colorful cast of characters, you know, but they were also really loving, funny, creative people. And so you're kind of left alone in a lot of ways to, to raise yourself. You don't have that structure. And I think that it's a, it's a great thing to have structure and it's a great thing to have, you know, morality and boundaries and all that stuff because that's that also forms and raises you and some and we we because i don't think a lot of my friends had dads either you know very weirdly enough i could very few of them did they were very similar to me and so we we kind of had been raised by new york city like the streets as was our babysitter wow well what do you what would you recommend or what what do you think about what would you share for somebody who feels hopeless? Because I feel like I've heard with, with the coronavirus and people being alone, like your environment sounds intense. That sounds like a very intense thing. I feel like I'm way too soft. I wouldn't have made it, you know? Um, yeah. But a lot of people, you know, you're kind of forged in that environment. Some people were able to pull through. Some people aren't. Um, but when you start off and everything's kind of okay, and then everything gets taken from you, you might not have the skills to, sco- to cope or adapt. It's something awful, right? You were, you were at a level of life, and now it's way lower than you thought possible. So I feel like more now I'm seeing people feel hopeless, um, feel worried about what the, what's happening in the world, feel genuine fear, uh, lack, right? Like, you know, everyone's going to be hustling these quarters, and it's kind of a joke, but people's minds are are really going there because they want to support their family. And so do you have any suggestions for people who might start to feel that way for avenues to, to just see the light at the end of the tunnel? Well, I, first of all, I think that's very uh, insightful of you because I think a lot of people do feel that way. And, and we know that there's so much suicide right now. There's so much DV domestic violence or so much destitution or so much poverty. I see it in my own neighborhood here than than in a very 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 long time and just you know locking down is uh you know on a personal note is absolute nonsense compared to how many people are experience hardships from it so you know i think that that people have to realize that everything is temporary you know what i mean everything is temporary it feels like a prison a lot of times you know or it feels like what my friend calls a free prison you know where you where you're where you're free in quotes, but you feel like you're in a prison, but your mind's always free. And the reason that I go to my mind and the reason that this is what I'm suggesting is because your mind is always free. And if you go into your mind and you can do something to positive effect, I would draw, I would paint. It doesn't take much, but a pencil and a paper. And even if you don't draw, draw, because that will get out your feelings. You know what I mean? It really is true. Draw until you can't draw anymore. And when you can't draw anymore, draw some more. And you will feel liberated. Sometimes, okay, if it's not that, then play music. Do something creative. All the negativity is polarizing. I get up in it all the time. Trust me. I watch from David Duvai to the Ice Age Farmer to, you know, 
uh, reading Martin Armstrong's blog and I'm like, oh my God, it's over. You know what I mean? It's so easy to be, it's over, we're done. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm, I'm stuck, I'm trapped. It, you know, Trump's gonna get elected, no, Biden's gonna, and this is even worse because that, that, you know, it's a, you, you get caught up in the dialogue with yourself and there's so much information. It's almost like, it's almost like Matt, and I've been thinking about this just today, is like, just not looking at anything. Like I got off mainstream news a long time ago. I, that's just absolute nonsense. It's nonsense. There, it's too much fear pornography. It's fear, 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 lies, lies, lies. I don't need to hear that. So listen to Matt Belair. You know what I mean? Listen, you know, that's what you got to do. You got to listen to positive things, you know, meditate, work out, dance, dance, move your body. Anytime you move your body, no matter what, Otherwise, you're going to sit there and be like, I'm so depressed. I'm so funky. I feel, I don't feel good. I feel, and then it gets worse and worse. And pretty much you start to just shrivel up into a ossified ball of old clay. And you don't want that. So movement, man, movement is everything. And I tell that when I draw, I say, the figure is over 80% water, 80% water. We're always moving. And that's how I like to draw, right? Like with movement, with gesture, with rhythm, with action, with purpose. And I think that when I move, I always feel better. You know, if I'm moving my hand drawing or if I'm moving my body, you know, doing waves like that, you know, it just makes you feel good. So know that my opinion is this will all pass. You know, it's going to work itself out. You know, David Wolf said the other day to me, I was like, when is this over, man? And he's like, it's over when they say it's over. And it's like, whoa, that's even more heavy. Like, you know what I mean? That's like evil is in every corner. And you could, you could be in the Titanic and change seats, but you're still going down, right? That's how it felt. Like, you're like, well, I'm going to sit over here because I'll be more safe. It's like, no, I'm still sinking. This is crazy. But the reality is, man, it's okay because you're free here. You're free in your mind. Your mind is a paradise. Your mind can be a paradise. And so when, when it gets crazy, just do things to uplift yourself. And to me, uh, the thing that makes me feel alive and makes me feel good has always been drawing. Whatever pain I had in, in my personal life, whatever pain I have with my mom and all her crazy boyfriends and all the craziness in New York City and all the violence, I think I, I, think I could find peace in my art and i feel like we all have something that we could find peace in that's very beautifully said it, it makes me think like the mind needs leads an outlet it's when we're especially when we when we experience trauma or something challenging or negative or depressing it takes out more ram like there's more space in your mind and body and if you're not filtering it out it's going to get stuck there and then harvest and manifest in the body through disease. And there is so much scientific evidence that shows, you know, to a past memory and now they got a heart attack and, you know, from not being able to express in some way. And there is art therapy, there is dance therapy, and it's a very simple thing, you know, but people don't do it. We're so uh, sedentary, you know, we're always sitting down, we're eating crappy food, we're not jogging, we're not moving and dance is fun drawing yeah. is fun it is some sort of expression when i looked up and 
and study, you know, great minds and people like Michelangelo, Da Vinci, all, everybody, they all journaled and they all drew. And mm. when you were talking about drawing and just continuing to draw, it's something that uh, Robert Grant ta- told me about, but also it reminded me like, I've never really heard someone talk about it as adamantly. And it kind of clicked that journaling is fundamental. I tell all my clients to journal. I tell everybody to journal because you got to get it out. You got to filter what's going on. You got to be able to see it. It's the, it's the first, I think you might've said something similar, but it's the first way that you take um, the etheric into physical form, drawing Mm -hmm. or journaling or words. Otherwise it's stuck in your mind. And so whatever you're dealing with, even if you're drawing a tree, uh, Mm -hmm. you're connecting with or interfacing with God. One of my friends, uh, shout out Daniel, he said that he's like, how are you interfacing with God? And God is in nature. It's in the observable environment, but it's your stillness and observation of it, of connecting with it. And even drawing is one of those expressions. And I feel like the angst, the anxiety, the hopelessness comes in the powerlessness of not being able to uh, transmute or alchemize all of this heavy stuff. So when you hear bad information, scary information, you feel heavy, right? Yeah. When you dance and you move, you feel light mm-hmm. and it also feels free. And mm-hmm. it's such a basic fundamental of, of movement and being alive. And we usually dance when we're happy, but we can dance when we're sad and ancient tribes used to dance. You know what I mean? It was, and they, you talked about the cave paintings. I had a guest on, it was a long time ago now, I forget his name, but he did a you know, whole thing on the cave paintings and they're incredibly old. And so it's the importance of expression in whatever you're going to do, whatever way you're going to do it, find your own expression. And so many people don't do it because they're worried about what other people think. And they think that their expression needs to be good. And so I'm curious if you would have any like rules of advice for either people going to, go on that avenue or what you would tell yourself of if you're younger just to do it as an expression because i feel like that's a huge hindrance they might be like and it's the people who love it the most the people that have a bit of a talent for drawing have a bit of talent for art they're going to be more critical because they think they're already supposed to be good and they don't allow themselves to be crappy i can make some art because i know i suck and i know it's gonna suck so i have no attachment to it and so i'm just wondering if you could speak on that a little bit yeah you know uh I think I used to feel very protective over calling anybody an artist, you know, cause everybody's not an artist. We all know, like, you know, you, you have to work so hard at it, but in a lot of ways, we really are all artists, right? We all, we all, as much as we all speak or we all walk, we all draw every single child draws. That's the one thing that's really weird. We don't all play music. We don't all sing, but we all draw. As kids, we all have crayons, we're drawing, little kids do it all the time. And it's whether they take it on. At some point, someone goes, Oh, that's really good. You should keep doing that. Or they go, Huh, that's not as good as mine. I have a better spaceship than you do. And you're like, I'm never going to draw again, you know, because then when you start to get your ego, then that deflates you. And then you stop progressing so that when we draw again as adults, I'm just talking about the psychology of it all. When we draw again as adults, we're not coming back to it until that last spaceship drawing that we did. And we have trauma attached to that experience. Yep. You know, and that's usually 
why people stop drawing. Their mom doesn't like it. It's not practical. What are you going to be an artist? Are you insane? You know what I mean? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, my grandfather. My grandfather was an artist. Was like, you just time traveled right there. Went back in time and just heard the voice. <laughs> But it was my grandfather said that he was like, what are you crazy? You're going to be an artist. That's insane. You're not going to make any money. It's just, you're nuts. You're mishugana. It's ridiculous. You got to stop. I do it. I know. You know, he really was. He didn't want me to be an artist because he knew how much pain he had suffered as an artist. My mom was hawking art in front, in front of the Metropolitan Museum. And she was like, oh, it's going to be rough. You know, like, so you have to do it because it's one of those things that you have to do because you have to do it. In other words, it's inside of you, even though you don't know it's there. No matter what anybody said, no matter what your grandfather said, what your high school uh, counselor said, what your friend said that your spaceship sucked, you still have to do it. And one of the things I do, Matt, and I did this early on in my career, is I draw with my other hand. It's because we have, as we draw as kids, we, we create habits. The head looks like a circle, the eyes are two dots, the nose is a C-curve, you know, upward C-curve, the mouth is a straight line, whatever. And we have these iconic symbols of drawing. It's called symbolic drawing. As we start to understand that we're really drawing with our right hemisphere of our brain, we start to draw observationally. And we start to not draw symbolically, but start to see. We start to see things and feel things and experience things as artists. That's a different path of our brain. That's when we start to really love it because we're living in the right hemisphere. The right hemisphere doesn't have a sense of time, doesn't critique ourselves. You're thinking outside the box, just be, outside of the box because you're thinking on the right hemisphere of your, of your brain and you're drawing with a sense of free association and love. So you're in a dimension of love automatically. So if you can't connect to that side, then you don't wanna do it, then you're reminded. So if you're a right-handed person, draw with your left hand and you'll connect with that side because it slows you down. Your synapses fire at a slower speed and you're actually really looking and seeing. So if, you, if you're, Matt, are you right or left-handed? Right-handed. Okay, so when you draw, draw with your left hand. Take your, take your other hand up and draw your hand or draw an apple or draw your face in the mirror. You'll see how slow you draw, but you're gonna get truth in all of that. It's gonna be a really weird reckoning of truth. So the suggestion is if you're right-handed, draw with your left hand. If you're left-handed, you can even draw with your right hand. It's just about connecting with the right hemisphere of your brain. Though the, I have a bunch of exercises I do to turn on the right hemisphere, boom, right away. You're out of the linear, verbal, critical, you know, self-hating side, and you're into the timeless, free, loving side, which is where you are when you're in a deep spiritual drawing session. So it's a spiritual connection with God when you're drawing at the highest level. You could see it and you could feel it when you see a Rembrandt painting. You could see it and you could feel it when you see a Diego Velasquez painting. You could see it and feel it and smell it when you're in the Sistine Chapel breathing in the fresco of Michelangelo's, you know, or, or, or touching a Rodin, you know, a beautiful Rodin sculpture. 
they're in a different place of spirituality when they're when they're connecting to the universe like that and i feel like if we can get to drawing we can also heal a lot of the stuff that we were traumatized by it's 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 a very strange thing i talk to people about art all the time and sometimes you bring up art and oh yeah, yeah, yeah i want to talk about it well, you know, I was, I was really into comic books. I drew a lot of comic books. What do you draw now? It's so painful. It triggers something in them because it's not only the fact that they stopped drawing because of their mom or their dad or they didn't have a career path. They, told, they were told they didn't have a career path. But it was because it was something they really loved and they really connected to because it was their truest self and they were asked to stop it. And I think drawing more than anything else I see that with, maybe that's because, you know, I was, <laughs> I've been teaching art my whole life, but I also think that it's because it's true. It's like, we all connect with drawing, every single kid in the world, yet we all stop it. And if we could perhaps draw more, even if it's in a total fun with your opposite hand, free flowing stuff, then you're going to heal your, your trauma that you have with drawing and perhaps even trauma beyond that. Wow. Well, I definitely believe you. I believe it. And I don't even know the references that are firing in my mind, but I've studied a lot of neurology, uh, NLP, had a lot of amazing guests on that talk about different modalities of healing. And it just makes sense to me when you say it. The book that I'm reminded of, I remember reading it a long time ago, was called The Power of Your Left Hand. And it, mm. and it was the opposite hand, essentially. And there's a lot of science to why you will use the opposites, right? To fire different parts of your brain. In yoga, you'll, you'll do different mudras to make sure, right, you're, you're getting both of the brain, uh, both hemispheres fired up. And you do that through the body. And that's another expression, too, with the, with the um, breakdancing. That is hard, man. That takes immense skill. And I learned this through martial arts. And I learned a lot from Bruce Lee, which I know you have at least a connection to getting the Bruce Lee stamp. But... You know, when I'm learning a strike, I'm doing it with both way, both hands and it takes concentration to do it the opposite way. Same with snowboarding, same with skateboarding. But what you said about art and people quitting, it's like because they can't see a way to make it their life work, they stop doing something they love. There's something so pro profound in that. How many other expressions, whether it's music, art, for me is skateboarding, snowboarding, sports. People just stop because there's no avenue. And it's funny as an older guy now going to the skate park and I'll see someone like, I used to skate. I don't do it anymore. It's a lot more taxing skateboarding than art, but you can, you can feel that energy and that bit of happiness that they have and in the joy of doing it. And so when we go about our life sometimes and we get stuck in, like you said, the left hemisphere to the left, creative one is the right yeah left yeah. hemisphere that's the one that can feel like a prison because it's built on logic on reason on safety on security on all of these different things and we don't have any of the right brain expression and so no wonder we feel anxious depressed hopeless like god and you know like you said spirit michelangelo all those things come from expressing you know this this force that's moving through them and it's a beautiful and very profound experience and Yes, you need left and you need right, but our education systems, our cultures, our societies, our parents, although well-meaning, are not, we're not giving enough value to, to just expressing to express, just to do it so you become a more fulfilled, 
a human being and I equate it to information. The more balanced you are through your practices, the more information that you can receive, the body needs to be able to receive the information. And if you're only in logical linear thinking all the time, which is usually a little bit of stress, you're not open to receiving more info. And so when you're in flow state or however that works for you, you're really like expressing in combination with spirit or your highest self. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you said to shut off the critical mind, because that's a huge one for people. You know, some people will say, I can't meditate. And sometimes I suggest drawing. I say, just draw, just go for a walk in nature. It counts. Drawing counts as meditation hundred percent, right? If you don't want to meditate, draw a tree. Right. And if, and if you do it and you feel happy and you feel, or even present, if you just feel present, or if you feel miserable and you feel less miserable, do it more and keep doing it because that will, that will keep bringing you up the scale of happiness. And it's the idea of people not expressing in any way. And I feel like art is such a beautiful and profound way. And you're really uh, sharing that eloquently. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit how to shut that off because what I, use as an analogy is people wake up, the alarm goes off and it's just a task list on the treadmill. That's mm -hmm. it. It's, and that goes for the whole day. They get home um, they eat something and then they numb out. There's no expression. There's no connection. There's no shutting off the internal dialogue. And if you live like that, you're not living on purpose. You're living on default, something mm -hmm. outside of you. The universe is making you do something. You've now mm -hmm. lost control. And what this does is it gives you at least a glimpse of control. And the more you get into that space, the more you get into that state, the more you get into that connection, the more you can use that energy to influence other parts of your life. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Or you could just cut, you could just do ayahuasca and you don't need any. Of it. <laughs> yeah, you no can, you can do, do both. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I think you, you touched upon things that I'm really into. So I'm really into, truth serum so the the way to have truth serum with drawing um because when you draw symbolically you're not telling the truth you're drawing you're projecting from what's already been learned in your mind right even artists that are really good i see it sometimes they draw from what they see in their mind and not what they're really seeing in other words and even if you tell them they follow the finger you point them in the right direction. They're looking at your finger. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't look at my finger. Look at the road map, bro. I'm taking you on the road. Stop the finger watching. We're going on this journey. So to go on the journey, Matt, there's, there's tricks. There's, there's what I call, you know, there's hacks. So the hacks are draw upside down. Okay, so if I'm copying, uh, you know, this drawing, this painting of Tupac I did, whatever, instead of copying it like this, I'm going to turn it upside down. And here's why. Because your brain is not familiar with the fact that it's a, sh it's a, it's a head. Because when, if you do it right side up, you're going, okay, it's a head, and here's your nose, and here's your eyes, and pretty much you projected your own thing. And a lot of times you'll be like, that doesn't look anything like Tupac. That looks like maybe even me, or, or you, you drew it and it looks like you. But if you draw it upside down, you're drawing you're drawing shapes. You're just drawing what is, not what you think it is. Hmm. You're drawing what is. That's why I always say that aliens would be better artists than us. 
because they don't have a preconceived idea of what things should look like. The, it's this control. Your brain is controlling you as much as the outside world. The system is controlling you. Your own brain and the own, your own bad habits are controlling you. Drawing is a series of bad habits that must be broken. Hmm. Drawing is a series of bad habits that must be broken. So drawing upside down will break that. Opposite hand drawing will break that. So if you're a righty, draw with your left hand because invariably your brain is gonna slow down and you wanna feel the form. Now, I draw constructively, which means I construct things. So like tubes, spheres, rectangles, triangles, that's construction. Michelangelo was a constructivist. George Bridgman was a constructivist. Leonardo was a constructivist. But they were also observationalists like Egon Schiele or Gustav Klimt, who really drew from seeing, from observing, from experiencing. Michelangelo's drawing from everywhere because he's Michelangelo, okay? He's the, he's, he's, my, he's the Michael Jordan. It's funny, right? Everyone, Michael. Michael Jordan of basketball, Michelangelo, Michael Jackson, they're all great, right? So um, I think that, that that there's no right way to draw. My, my teacher used to say, there are no rules, just tools. Hmm. People think there's rules and you have to investigate it into yourself, right? And I was reading a Forbes article the other day and it was saying, don't do your own research, trust science, da, 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 da. And I was just like, no, you know, that's ridiculous. You're not gonna trust science. All great artists, a lot of great inventors, come from different fields of experience. Just because you're not a master of science doesn't mean that you have to trust science. You have to investigate it for yourself. They're saying, don't even investigate it. Don't even investigate anything. Don't look into it. Of course you don't want us to look into it. But I'll say the same thing with drawing, man. You need to look into it for yourself. Does this work for you? Does upside down drawing for you work for you? Does left-handed drawing for you? You know what Norman Rockwell, one of the greatest painters, if not the greatest American painter of all time used to do? He would get in such bad habits with painting, he would take a brick and draw with the brick because it was so uncomfortable. He would take a brick and put it in paint and then paint with the brick because it made his brain see things in a different way. It was awkward and heavy. And like, how do I do that? Uh, it was uncomfortable. You gotta get into the uncomfortableness of it. And so upside down drawing, drawing with your opposite hand, and then blind contour drawing, or just blind drawing. In other words, I'm sitting here with Matt Belair with the nice teeth and the crystal clear eyes, because I know this dude's healthy right here, right? And I'm drawing him, and I'm not looking at my pad. I'm not looking at my pad. I have to trust myself when I'm not looking at my pad, man. And I'm just looking at Matt Belair. Boom, top of the head, cranial mass, ah, and that's how I do it. And then I come back and I usually, even if it's not perfect or great, there's a lot of truth in it. As opposed to, okay, well, Matt Belair has got a round head and he's got a cranial mass that looks like this. And his, his, uh, his tear ducts line up with the tip of the wings of his nose and the corner of his mouth with his pupils and the ears where the brow ridge are and the bottom of the nose, the bottom of the ears, that's all measurements, that's all math, that's great, but it's not Matt Belair. 
It's the projection of what somebody thinks or what the math is for a head, hmm. which there's a value there. So once again, <laughs> upside down drawing, drawing with the opposite hand and blind drawing, blind contour drawing is just experiencing it and seeing it. You draw, that way you're able to draw sculpturally. I like to think sometimes when I'm drawing like ants are marching over so I could feel the form. And I feel like that, there's something sculptural about that. So those three things are some hacks to be able to hack into your own brain of bad habits and stop it. That's the chatter you're talking about. That's this. And the chatter, unfortunately, sometimes is you can't do it. You're not good enough. What are you doing? Why are you even drawing? You haven't drawn since you were like 12. You were the best guy at you know, comic books. You did the best spaceships. But now you're just terrible. You're disgusting. I hate you. Makes you think like that. Because drawing is like this deep part of your soul. And so you got to put all that to rest by breaking those habits, by hacking into the system that you've created for yourself. And those are really good drawing hacks. All of that's amazing. Hacking into the system that you created for yourself. In neuro-linguistic programming, they, they talk about mental maps and that's how you see the world. It's the lens and the filter in which you see it. We all have our unique filter of what's going on in the world. And it's interesting because I'll give you an example of what can happen in a negative way. There is uh, a person that my sister used to work with and it was her boss. And she said, she's really struggling with negativity and, and could use some help. So we had a couple conversations and I said, you know what? Um, just take a new way home. Just start driving a new way home. This is a suggestion that I got from my native American teacher. Uh, and he said, just, just always take a new way home. And she goes, it's funny you say that. I moved a year ago and I drive out of my way to drive the, the old way home to work, to work and, and home, even if there's traffic. And what you're talking about is it's basically the neurology becomes so set that you can't see any other option. It's your brain has decided this is how you see the world. And that's what happens with trauma. Trauma creates neurology that's so strong, it's the energy that binds the neurology. So if you go about your day and you kind of stub your toe on a uh, rock, um, it's not gonna hurt, but if you like, I don't know, somehow horribly break your foot at like four years old on a rock, you might all of a sudden hate rocks for so long because of that one experience or, it, oh, Hold on one second. I got a fire alarm going off. I got it. <laughs> Every time we throw on the, uh, the, the dryer, the fire alarm goes off. Hold on one second. I'm going to pause the recording. And I'm, we're back in the game. Cool. That's all, that's, all, that's all together. So, yeah. So, the neurology of how you um, just change what you look at. And Bruce Lee talked about this in martial arts. And these are things that I took for granted through martial arts. And you learned through music through art and through dance, all the same principles. And if you look at people who go and run a pattern, sometimes they do a job for a year and they don't like it. Then it goes to two years, then it goes to a whole lifetime. They don't ever have the pause button to get out of their map. You know, if you were to implant your brain in, in the way you see the world, I would see it in a whole new way. And what you're suggesting through these practices and martial arts is a practice. Art is a practice. Um, the way that we express or connect with ourselves and the world is a practice. And it's fundamental 
and necessary in whatever way you want to do it, but you have to do it. You have to pick an avenue of expression. And what you're sharing is, is so transformational. If somebody's experiencing deep depression, deep anxiety, and you say, okay, cool. Um, just for you know, half an hour a day, start, draw a tree upside down, and then do this one. And what it's going to do is going to take all their attention, energy, and focus to start to do this thing. And so now they're out of the mind because they can't be in both places at once. But when you're stuck in the left brain analytical pattern or rut, or you hate your life, it's because you're running the same thing over all the time. And, and what you're doing as a practice and a way of life is the opposite. And you're doing it and expressing it as an artist. Bruce Lee did it as a martial artist. Um, some people do it through sport. Some people do it through music, but there must be one avenue of stilling the mind um, and learning the craft of new perspectives, of of not getting set, of having a you know in Zen they'll call it beginner's mind. So that was that was brilliant. Do you want to add on to any of that? You can feel free to embellish. <laughs> no, I you know it, it's true. Like my, you know I'll tell you my my story of how I came to all of this uh, philosophically and my my ideology of it is because I was in a drawing class after I graduated college. And it was a very difficult academic drawing class. And I had this Filipino Irish little dude with long white hair just looking over my shoulder. And I was like, what is this dude looking at? Like, and he was like, oh, you draw pretty good. And I was, I was in the ego mind state all the time. I was like, you're damn right I do, son. You know what I mean? He was like, why don't you come over and watch me draw? And I was like, all right, old man, I'm going to watch you draw. So he started to draw. And I was like, yo, it just made me realize how small I was how unimportant my drawing was and how unrealized it was. It was true. Like his drawing was so real and so truthful. I knew it right away. Cause I'm as ego as I was, I'm not stupid. And I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'm going to call it as it is. And I looked at him and his name is Gregory Weir Keaton. And I looked at Gregory's work and I said, well, what do I need to do? Cause I'm just like, I felt, I went from feeling like, the greatest artist, draftsman in the world, you know, like Michelangelo to like Michelangelico, you know what I mean? Or to D'Angelo, the singer. I was just like, I can't, I'm, ter I'm like, I'm terrible. And so he said, uh, he said, I want you to stop drawing with your right hand. I said, what? He goes, you're, you're, you're making a lot of bad, bad decisions. You have bad habits. You do the same thing over and over again. I said, okay. So I took it. I took it real. I stopped drawing with my right hand for seven years. I started drawing only with my left hand. And I started realizing, for me, I was much more truthful with my left hand than my right hand. I was much more real with my left hand than my right hand. I was much more honest with my left hand than my right hand. And then as time went on, I started to draw with both hands and now I, oftentimes draw with both hands at the same time. I draw with both hands at the same time because one hand could track distance and shape, and then the other one will be drawing where that is. So now I draw with two hands at once or my left hand or my right hand. I feel more comfortable now with my left. I paint primarily with my right. And sometimes when I'm in a difficult place and I need to break a break something that I feel is bad, like a habit that I know I'm already going to make, I just switch it and draw with my left, paint with my left. 
So I do both at the same time at this phase of my career. Wow, that's amazing. Well, the only way that I can even understand that is through skateboarding and through snowboarding because you know you once you learn how to do it your confident way you have to do it your unnatural way and it changes the way you think and i feel like that's the goal is to change the way you think change the way you express and do it as honestly as possible and find an avenue that suits you that makes you want to show up get better learn because as an as a high level artist and, and studying michelangelo and people like that you understand that you can never truly master it and never be done. You can never master music and be fully done. You can never master art and be fully done. It's a way to express in this realm. And we are creators. And that's one of the most beautiful and profound ways to create. And when you shared that uh, everybody draws as a kid, you know, that really hit home. And I can just imagine. Did you draw? Yeah, I was terrible. But uh, now I want, now I want to draw, you know, I, you know, when you were when you were a kid, do you remember enjoy that you were enjoying drawing? Absolutely, yeah, I, I loved it. Yep, it was so, it was so much fun. And so, you know, I think about that now, and and I remember actually it was probably around grade seven or eight. That's when it kind of it started. To, we started to measure it, right? We started to measure it what what's good and what's bad. And if you're mm-hmm. if you're not one of the quote unquote talented ones, then you should choose something else. And it's yeah. the same same with sport. You know, it's like it's you don't do sport to be the the greatest at it. You want to become the best that you can be. And uh, same with martial arts to be the best that you can be. Um, but it's not to be the best as compared to someone else. It's to foster and create and support everyone's unique expression. And so what I want to ask is, do you have any advice? I'm sure there's going to be artists out there that, that are good at it. And maybe they're writers, maybe they're painters, maybe they're musicians. What advice would you have for the younger kids coming up or even somebody who's older in their life? And they're like, you know what? I'd like to pick it up, but I got these mental hangups. You know, what, what should I do to, to get started? I would say that, um, you know, I've been learning lately to draw. Like I, I used to say, oh, well, when I'm doing a portrait, I have to do the whole head and map it out and, you know, measure it and where the ears in relation to the eye and the nose and the, the muzzle, the mouth and, and the jaw and the shoulders. Now I just, I, and I like to share this with my, my students or people that love drawing. And I say, start where you love. What do you love? What makes you excited? Because if you're starting from a place of joy, then you can get into it. You're starting, oh, I gotta map it out. This sucks already. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I'm already messing this up, man. I'm terrible, man. It's like, no, just chill out. Just get into it a little bit. Try to find what you love about it. Try to find what excites you. you know, maybe it's the ear. I start with the ear sometimes. You know, maybe you don't wanna do something realistic. You wanna be distorted. Whatever you wanna do is okay. Now, if you're a serious artist, and you really want to do it for a career, I would say draw from life. Draw from life. Because most of what I do now is drawing from photos, which is taking a 2D, you know, something 2D and trying to pretend and make it pretend like it's 3D, as opposed to drawing in the 3D world, in the 2D space, making it look 3D. So I think it's important to draw more from life than from photos, because photos flatten everything out. But if you're doing it, because you just love it, you start with what you love. And if you're doing it as a career, 
Just make sure you have the skill set, the foundation. You're a skater, make sure you know how to do the basics, you're, you know, whatever that is. If you're doing- And you uh, master them. Master the basics. You know, Bruce Lee mastered the basics. You, you have to master the basics. You see the greatest jujitsu guys in the world, they have such great basics. You know, same with everybody, right? The same with the swimmers, same with uh, skiers. You have to know the fundamentals. And, uh, and then you can break them. You know, Picasso broke the fundamentals very, very early on in his career because he mastered them. He was a real prodigy. He mastered everything. Uh, other artists never really got the fundamentals. Like, I wouldn't say that Van Gogh got the fundamentals. Frida Kahlo never got the fundamentals, not to the level of the higher level guys like, you know, Zorn or Sargent or Katie Kollwitz, the famous, wonderful female German expressionist. But it didn't matter because they had something spiritual, something prophetic, something deep inside them that they had. They were real artists. If you're an artist, you just create. And you can't help it. So that's what I would say. Like, you just got to do it. You got to do it. You do it because you love it. And you can't let anyone tell you, oh, don't do it, whatever. You can ask people's opinion, but be ready. Because if someone says, like my mom, I don't like it. Oh, come on. You know, like to this day, hey, mom, I did this. <laughs> eh, it's okay. Sometimes she gives me an incredible call. But you got to be ready for that. Because, or don't ask. Because ultimately, it's all about you. You know, do you ask everybody, how was my meditation? No. Um, how was I got? No, you're not asking anybody. You got to think about it like that. Growing <laughs> is a meditation. You don't need anybody <laughs> on your med. How was my own, guys? Pretty good. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Appreciate that, bro. No, you know, you're just meditating because you're doing it for you. And you're drawing because you're doing it for you. If you want to be an artist in the world, sure, you can ask people. So there's a balance between people like my mom who goes, eh, and people like, you know, who are blowing you up to tell you, oh, you're the great, you're better than Michelangelo. Like, just keep it in the middle. Keep it humble. Keep it real. Drawing keeps you humble. Drawing keeps you humble. Just like martial arts. When you do a martial arts, you're doing jujitsu, you know where you are. You know you're a blue belt and you're fighting a brown belt. You feel like you're a blue belt. Like in a real fight, you would kill me. I get it. It's very humbling. <laughs> You know, and, and art is, it can, you know, in terms of skill set, it could be that way too. So it is a very, 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 very profoundly deep, deep, heavy craft, but it should be something that we all practice. I don't need to be the world's greatest meditator in the world, you know? I don't need to be, what, live my life like Troy Casey every day doing Qigong and meditation. I'm just Bua. I like to do it because I feel a little better, but I don't need to share it with anybody. And that's how I do it. And that's how I feel about drawing. Everybody should draw. Everyone doesn't have to be a master, but everybody should do it. It is essential for the mind. I love it, man. I agree. And the way that you, you put it is going to definitely make me get a, an art book. And I remember when I traveled, I would do a little bit of art here and there. And I just, I remember sucking so hard, made me want to stop. Um, but just the frame of mind of how you put it and just the express, the expression to express, like just to do it, just to express. And it's just like when people want to go skateboarding, I'm like, just suck. Just if you like it, just get yeah. on there and do it. Or if it's some other version, same with martial arts, jujitsu. And I think that, um, you touch on something I feel is important. It's the slice of humble pie with a recognition of mastery. 
we, you know, those masters, they earned it. And masters almost always, probably not every time, but almost always are really humble because they know there's infinite potential and they've only tapped into a little bit of it. And they know that that potential exists in you if you apply the work ethic, if you go through the process and you're going to get better if you are cooperative in the process, right? We don't need to be, it is a scarcity mindset. It is a much lower level of consciousness to be um, competing with everyone, but you can compete in a way that is mutually beneficial, not in a crab in a bucket way, but if you're going to do jujitsu or you're going to do art and you're going to do a competition, you can say, you know what, this was amazing how you did this. How did you do that? And you're like, oh, I'm trying to work on this avenue. And you both learn something from e each other and you get smarter. Same with jujitsu is awesome. I like it because you have to be humble or they're not going to train you because you could break their arm. You can't have that in the gym. And so when somebody keeps getting you with something and you're just like, how do you keep doing that? And you're like, well, you keep doing this and they tell you. And so there's a recognition of mastery, but mm -hmm. also um, the, the humility to know that there's more. And so many are walking around with this puffed chest and these facades, um, not willing to make mistakes, not willing to not be the best. And I feel like that's an important distinction is to, be where you are in the process, find something that you really enjoy to do and find a community, right? Whether it's an art community, jujitsu community, um, any community that's supportive, any community that wants to better each other and find a way that you enjoy expressing. Um, man, this has been amazing. Uh, I knew this was gonna be good. You share perspectives, I feel like from the, from the artist's mind that people are gonna really understand and resonate with. And it helped me to just understand my martial arts in a little bit of a different way. Because in martial arts, you're always trying to train in a new way that frigs up your brain. That's mm -hmm. really, really the point. Like you don't, you know, I train in weird spots like this winter running out, you know, barefoot, you know, in the middle of the street, people don't know what I'm doing, but I'm always trying to do something that is different so mm -hmm. that I'm out of the rut, that I can see things in a new angle from a new perspective. And I know that if I, apply drawing or some sort of art form like that, it's going to translate into other areas of my life. You'll be able to problem solve better. Mm -hmm. it, it, it always translates. This kind of practice always translates into skill into other areas of your life. Um, so is there anything that you wish that I had asked or that you want to talk about before we close it up? No, man, I think you, uh, I think you asked all the pertinent questions. I just think that it, <laughs> You know, I, I just can't stress, um, you know, just really, like you said, it, you, you want to, you want to shake it up. It's Norman Rockwell dipping into paint with the, with a brick, you know, mm -hmm. you want to, and that's kind of like that, that's me. Like, what can I do to scramble it up? You know, you see the UFC, the UFC fighter GSP, who's also Canadian from Montreal, and you see him doing, you know, he's doing gymnastics and he's doing, you know, he's doing the rings and he's flipping and he's swimming. He's not doing any combative fighting stuff, but he's scrambling his brain. You see the greatest athletes in the world doing those things because they know that other modalities are going to lend themselves a greater skill set when it comes time to the actual performance of your own thing. It always does. It expands your brain. And I think the more you do to positive effect, you know, the less to sitting around just watching TV and eating Captain Crunch and Kentucky Fried Chicken and the more green food and water, like clean water, you know, meditation, yoga, 
painting, drawing you do, the more you're going to connect on a deeper level with who you really are and what you really want to say. You know, my work is really a lot about the spiritual ascension of, of hip hop and, and all of those narratives in the culture. And that's what I like to uh, talk about and to paint and to get into the pathos and emotional realm of the mind of my sitter, the mind of my subject. That's what interests me growing up in New York City and delving into all the minds and learning that and now seeing a way to get there in a different way, you know, because now I'm drawing these people with my left hand, you know, that alone, like, you know, now, then I'm drawing these people with two hands. So that adds a whole other layer and texture to everything because you're right, you're never going to get great enough. That's why Michelangelo said, you know, I'm just beginning to learn how to draw when he was 81 because you're dealing with so many different things. You can get greater color, but then there's value. Then you get greater value, then there's tonality. You get greater, you know, tonality, then there's, uh, you know, edges. You get graded edges, then there's composition. You get graded composition, then there's, then there's stylization. You get graded stylization, then all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're coming upon medium. I got to get better at oils. I got to better, get better at acrylic. How about gouache? How about tempera? How about, it just never ends. It never ends. You will, and there's someone always better than you. There's always somebody right there better than you. I got this guy over here. He could, I got a friend who could draw anything he wants. He could draw exploding submarine in the Atlantic Ocean with a pool of fish of Dorados out of his head in 20 minutes. Damn, that take me a week. <laughs> I got a guy over here who I sit and do a, you know, a figure drawing with and his just looks better than mine. I, you know, there's all these different people and everyone's going to have something that they're better at than you. So you have to suck that up. You're not going to be the best. There's no such thing as the best. Guess what? Michelangelo is not even the best. Rembrandt is. No, I'm kidding. I don't know who, you know, but the point <laughs> is like, it never ends. You know what I mean? You can't compare the highest level people, but there's always so much to learn. And I realized the bottom line to all of this, Matt, is I'm just a student. I'm just a student. I'm just learning. The more I draw, the more I realize I'm a student. And I learn from students. And I learn from people online. And I learn from people who are making mistakes. And I learn from people who are, who are breaking rules. And I learn from disruptors. And I learn from you know, all avenues. People who are monster, masterful draftsmen. And people who are you know, having a podcast. And that comes into my art. So you just got to be open-minded and know that it ne like you said it never ends the journey never ends and that you're just a student that's the real that's the lesson of martial arts amazing man i totally agree where can people find more about your work i had the pleasure of scrolling through your instagram and uh you know it's funny i'm pretty sure my friend has your dj poster the one that went around the world that's that's i've like oh i've seen that before so that was super cool um but your work is amazing and I appreciate the philosophy of, of what you're sharing. So if people want to dive into um, what you're doing, I know you teach at university, but is, uh, do you teach somehow online in any way or is it just? I, I don't teach at university anymore. I, I, I just did a thing with Stage It. Uh, I will be doing more of those. So if you follow me on Instagram, just J-U-S-T-I-N-B-U-A or go to my website, justinbua.com. Uh, you could find all the info there, but I've been, I just did Stage It for the first time. It was fun because I get to teach online and I, I i love teaching and i love drawing so it's kind of a great 
combo. I just talk and draw. I mean, and you know, making money from that. That's not the worst ever, but most of the time <laughs> I'm just, you know, doing commissions, doing paintings, doing commercial work, uh, coming out with a series of sculptures very soon. So it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff happening, but, uh, but yeah, you want to find me, just go to my website, justinboo.com or Instagram. And then, you know, if you're interested in a commission, you could just DM me and I'll, I'll get back to you at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, man. Well, okay. thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And I, I, I know this could be really helpful because I feel like so often on the podcast, I'll, I'll do personal development and spirituality, but I'm always saying that there's a million, they say there are infinite paths to God or the way home or whatever. And I feel like it's anything that takes your uh, attention, energy, and focus that you can honestly express through, that you can commit yourself to getting better, but, but it's a joyous experience. It's frustrating at times for sure when you're trying to break through and you suck for a while and you want to get better at it. Um, oh. But, you know, that's a part of the love of it. And I feel like, you know, I've, I've wanted to have an artist on for a while. And my buddy Anders is an amazing artist. He was number one. But one of the things that, he, that stuck with me, he said, my life is my highest form of art, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the way that he sees the whole world is through his craft. And it's a very beautiful lens. And so um, I think that what you shared is powerful and, and it definitely invite people to check out your work. So thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you uh, so much for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, guys, thanks for listening. See you in the next one. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely incredible Justin Bua. If you haven't already done it, go check out his art. It is truly phenomenal, justinbua.com and also on Instagram. The guy's art is phenomenal, unique. I really enjoyed this episode, and uh, what an amazing tool for self-mastery art, you know, something that so many adults give up when they get older, but it is a, a really amazing tool for expression, uh, for meditation, for all kinds of amazing things. So I really enjoyed this podcast. If you liked it, please share it. Tag Justin and I on social media. Let us know what you like, where you're listening. Um, leave a review on iTunes. Consider becoming a patron. Join the Academy. You can find everything over at mattbelair.com. All the links. If you want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, same thing. Head over to the website. Would, would love to work with you. Um, check out the Soul Compass course. Some amazing guests are coming down the line, trying to keep you up to date on everything going on in the world. Also working on the quantum heart hypnosis program that is just about to be released with incredibly powerful guided meditations um, and experiences all set up for you. So very excited to be releasing that shortly. Um, sign up for the email list to stay up to date. And uh, that's it. So let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, connection, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.